following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Join me as I read. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him, uh, called to him out of the mountain, saying, "Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel: You, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians." And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are, you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do." And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. <clears throat> I've titled this uh, message, "What Makes You So Special." Uh, has anybody ever had somebody say that to you? Okay, usually that's not a compliment, just, just to be clear. It's usually what makes you so special, right? Uh, can, and it's actually intended uh, to actually make you feel very not special. Um, because there's kind of this thing, you know, that we don't want people to stand out above us. Uh, but the fact is, and the reality is, it's a very real part of life that all of us, have a need, God created us with a need to feel that our life is somehow special, that we are valued, that we matter to somebody else, um, that in fact our, our, there, there's some purpose to our existence that contributes something meaningful to the world um, and, and makes it worth living, and in some sense that we're special to at least one person who matters to us. Uh, it's just the way we are wired, and it's why uh, human relationships, especially meaningful human relationships, are so vital and important to us. We were we were created and designed for relationship, and uh, it's through relationships that we we get this sense of being valued or treasured. Um, it's interesting in in the modern world. There's been numerous articles and. Facts about this, about the the impact and the influence of, of social media, Facebook and Twitter and all this sort of thing, YouTube channel, about how people are seeking to be valued and cherished through their Facebook posts rather than through actual real meaning relationships. And, um, you know, we get valued by how many people like our post or follow us on Twitter, right, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, but the reality is that those, uh, while they can be make you feel good for a minute, it's very shallow. Right? It's very shallow because it's not real relationship. I mean, who really cares that you're you know, eating tofu, right? You know, I mean, yay, good for you. Um, 
But that's, that's kind of uh, where relationships have gone. But we need deep and, and real, meaningful, significant human relationships with people whom we love and value and who in turn value and cherish us as people. We need people who, with whom we can be, have genuine friendships. And, and a key part of that is valuing each other. Um, but the, the irony on all of this, as, as sinful fallen human beings, is that the people who often uh, can make us feel the most valued can also cause us the most hurt, right? Uh, and it creates uh, a, a, a huge dilemma for us. Uh, we, we draw to people and we, we enter into these close relationships with people who value us and cherish us and we, in a sense, open up our heart to them. And uh, we, we value and cherish them. But when they fail us or disappoint us or let us down, it hurts. Um, much more than if somebody we don't know does something stupid to us. Right? The closer we are to somebody, the more painful it is when they disappoint us and let us down. So it creates this, this interesting dilemma that we as human beings live in. Um, do we get close to people with the hope of being valued? Or do we stay safe by keeping distant? Okay, now I'm going to take a survey. <laughs> How many of you are distant and detached? How many of you are just run over? That's what the survey would look like, right? Because that's kind of apparently the options for us. We get close to people and we ride this emotional roller coaster of ups and downs where one day they make us feel good and the next day we're devastated because they didn't meet our expectations. Or we keep a safe distance from people uh, to protect ourselves from being crushed, but we're robbed of feeling treasured or special by anybody. And we live actually quite lonely lives. So that seems like kind of unfair choices. Um, well, that's the backdrop to the message uh, uh, as we come to Exodus chapter 19. And uh, Exodus chapter 19 marks a, a hinge, a, a key turning point in the book of Exodus. Uh, the first 18 chapters from chapter 1 to 18 is focused on God rescuing Israel from slavery. So that's what we've been looking at, this whole story of how God delivered them, rescued them out of uh, the control and tyranny of Pharaoh, uh, out of the oppression and cruelty and bondage of slavery, and God set them free uh, from that slavery. And he has led them through the desert, caring for them each step of the way. And as we read, it says he brought them to himself. Um, so they've been saved from something. They've been saved from bondage and slavery. But that's only half of the picture and only half of the book. Uh, the other half is what God saves them for. He saved them not only from something, but to something. And what he saves them to is, a, is essentially a relationship with himself. Right? He wants them to enter into a relationship with him as the living God. Um, and in that relationship, we will see it's a relationship where they are highly valued and treasured by God himself. That they will be a special people who God treasures and values. Um, and it's, it's a, a great picture and a great truth of the nature of who God is. God is a God who longs for relationship, uh, and not just general generic relationship, but a very special kind of relationship with human beings, with us. Uh, and, of course, we'll look towards the end of this, we'll jump into the New Testament and what it means for us as followers of Christ to be in relationship with the living God of the universe who treasures us, who values us, uh, and who will 
uh, never let us down or fail us. Uh, even though sometimes it might feel that way, uh, he is faithful, right? He is faithful, and he will never um, disappoint uh, in his, his love for us. So let's look at this, what this uh, kind of unpack this a little bit as God invites Israel into relationship with him and what that all means for them and what it means for us. So the context here, back up to verse 1, it says, On the third new moon, after the people had gone out of the land of Egypt, uh, the, the first new moon was actually as they were leaving. They had one about halfway in between and then the third one now. So it's been two months is all since, they, since the exodus. And so it's about 60 days that they've been wandering out through the wilderness and they've come to the Sinai wilderness and to the mountain of God. And it says, you know, they set out from Rephidim, which was actually very close to the mountain of God. And they came into officially the Sinai wilderness um, and they encamped there before the mountain of the Lord. Uh, and on that day, it kind of gets lost in the translation, but the, 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 the emphasis is here is on that day when they arrived, Moses went up to God. Um, and this, this, this should be um, what we would expect. Now, the Sinai wilderness was not a five-star resort. Okay? Nobody booked vacations there because of... Because it was stark, desolate. Nobody lived there. Very few people traveled through there. But Moses couldn't wait to get to this place. Why? Well, because this is the mountain of God. This is the place where just a few months earlier, God appeared to him in the burning bush. Uh, and God himself designated it as, as his mountain, a sacred place where God's presence dwelt. Uh, in that day, there was no temple to God. And so God was hanging out uh, on, Mount, uh, on Mount Sinai. Now, you know, God is everywhere present. God reigns in heaven. Uh, it doesn't mean that God, you know, like built a cabin on Mount Sinai and was living there. But it's the place where he chose to make his presence manifest, visible, tangible. It was the place where he arranged for Moses to meet him face to face. And now where God is arranging for the people of Israel, the whole nation, to meet God face to face. And we'll see that next week, how God uh, reveals himself to them in a face-to-face encounter. Well, I would love to have been there on that day. We only get to read about it. Um, and so Moses wastes no time. The day they get there, he doesn't say, I think I'll kind of rest for a little bit, freshen up, and go, go, go hang out with God tomorrow. Right? No. Right? He, he's been months remembering this encounter with the living God, and he cannot wait to go up on the mountain and see God again. And even though God's been speaking to him, uh, somehow it was different. What God communicated to him through however he did it versus that face-to-face encounter. And so Moses immediately goes up to, to the mountain, and God also wastes no time in speaking to Moses. It says in the last part of verse 3, Thus you... Uh, God speaks to Moses and says, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Key words there. Mark those. Keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. Here, Uh, God reveals his purpose in bringing them to this mountain where they are going to encounter him. He says, this is what this is all about. This is all about 
God inviting Israel into relationship with him through a covenant agreement. Um, And it really is just a remarkable thing. The God who created everything, heavens and earth, desires uh, a relationship with us. And he invites us into that relationship. Um, even though we are sinful, stubborn people. Uh, and he, he, he calls Israel, he invites Israel into this, this very personal, very real uh, relationship with him. Um, I don't know how it worked for you when you were dating, but uh, you fall in love with this special person. You hope this special person falls in love, falls in love with you. And you date for a while and kind of check and see uh, number one, are they special? Number two, are they not crazy? Because that's kind of a factor, right? Because you, you don't want to spend your life with a crazy person. So you kind of check this out and you feel, oh, they love me and I love them and I think it's a good fit. And finally the day comes where the guy asks the girl, will you marry me? And he's super nervous because he's just worried she's going to say, what? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> Right? She was hoping that's not what he hears. And the girl is anticipating, when's he going to ask? When he's going to ask, right? Because you long for this relationship. And that's, in essence, what God is doing here. He's, he's been courting them. He's been, in a sense, dating them as they've gone through the wilderness. And now he is proposing, uh, very much proposing to them. Will you have me to be your God? Right? That's what's going on here. And, and in, this, in this, uh, this invitation, it comes in the form of a covenant. And a covenant is an agreement with terms and conditions. It's a promise with commitment by, by both parties. Now, you know, some of you, I was, you had you with the whole romantic thing, and I'm talking about contracts and agreements, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, this just doesn't sound very romantic, right? And maybe we feel like... You know, making an agreement in this kind of relationship kind of wrecks it. It kind of somehow diminishes the romance of it all. And the, uh, the, the love that should just flow between God and between Israel. But the, the reality is this is exactly what we do, right? We propose and then what do we do? We get married where we make a covenant, right? We make an agreement in, in marriage. We stand before witnesses and we make promises and commitments to each other. It does not diminish love or diminish the relationship. In fact, it serves to elevate the relationship by calling both parties to the highest level of commitment and promise. In other words, when we get married, we don't just take it casually as, well, you know, if you kind of want to hang out for a while, as long as it's convenient for you. But if it ever is no longer convenient, we can just go our separate ways. That's, That's not what marriage is, right? It is a promise to bind your life to that other person for as long as you live, to love and cherish and care for them. By pledging uh, to value this person that you're marrying as the most special person in your life, you are also promising to exclude all other lovers. That's, that's what we say when you get married. I will love and cherish uh, till death does part, uh, pledging my love to you alone, right? That's what it's about. And in so doing, we create a safe place to love each other fully and completely. And to the extent that we keep that promise in a marriage relationship to love and honor and cherish in good times and in bad, 
we will both feel valued. And where we fail in our promises, we're likely to feel hurt and not valued, right? And then we have to go to marriage counseling and fix it up. And that's kind of how it works because we don't always do this well. But that's the picture. And so um, I believe uh, that, that the more important the relationship and the more special the person, the greater the need for a covenant agreement. Right? The, the greater the need to, uh, to make promises and commitments to that relationship. And clearly there's no person more significant and more, no, no relationship more important than our relationship with God. And so God calls Israel into a covenant with him. Uh, but unlike marriage, uh, marriage is, is a covenant between two people who are equal. Right? We're equal in this relationship. Um, but there's nothing equal about our relationship with God. Right? He's the creator of the universe. He made us. He is Lord over us. He is king over everything. He is sovereign. He is infinite and holy. We, on the other hand, are created. We are finite. We are sinful and broken. So how in the world are we going to have a relationship with God? Well, that's why covenant is so important, because it spells out the nature and ways and means of us relating to him. Um, so in this invitation, uh, God uh, invites them to relationship in terms of a covenant. And in fact, this is true all throughout scriptures from Genesis onward. Every time God enters into a relationship, uh, a significant, unique, um, personal relationship with People, he does it through covenant. Um, and uh, there are different covenants in the Bible. This one is, is by far the most significant one in the whole Old Testament. In fact, it dominates the rest of the Old Testament. Um, uh, and it's interesting that he does it in terms of, a, of an invitation. Right? So he doesn't save them from Egypt and drag them out in the desert into the wilderness and demand relationship. Right? What, what God tells Moses here is, uh, I'm extending to you an offer. It is your freedom to choose to re- receive it and accept it or reject it. Right? God does not force himself on anyone. God never says, you love me or else. That's not the way it works. He says, I, w- I would love you if you will receive my love. Will you enter into this covenant relationship with me? Uh, so God does this, and, and verses 1 through 8 are actually the preamble of the covenant. The covenant itself actually runs, the first major portion of it runs from Exodus chapter 20 through, through, verse, through chapter 20 through chapter 24. Uh, and we'll see in chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments, part of the covenant. And then a really long list of other random commandments that most of us get confused and fall asleep reading part of the covenant, right? The whole covenant, actually, if we look at the whole package, it goes from Exodus chapter 19 to the end of Leviticus, chapter 27. Uh, And, you know, I know it's all of our favorite verses in the Bible, right? We we all just go to to Leviticus, right? Love Leviticus. Um, You know, all those great verses about mold and, and leprosy and skin disease, just love that stuff, right? It's all part of the covenant, Part of the covenant. Um, it's what we call the law, but it's really important to, to see and understand that it's not just arbitrary random laws and commandments. 
It is, in fact, the conditions and terms of a covenant relationship. Um, so so they, they're invited into this relationship, and, um, and basically God here spells out three truths about the relationship, or three broad summarizing statements about the, 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 the covenant. So in, these, in this one verse, uh, verse 4, well actually uh, verses 4 through 6, we'll say, uh, God spells out everything that, 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 encompass, that is encompassed in Exodus 19 through Leviticus 27. Right? So let's look at those three things. Um, as God invites them into relationship, what, is, what, are, what are the conditions? What are the terms? Well, first of all, uh, rescue is not relationship. That's my point. Uh, verse 4, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay, here God spells out, in essence, the basis of the relationship. Uh, and he, he describes what he did to save them. Right, so basically, this statement summarizes all of the first 18 chapters of Exodus. And he says three things. First, uh, you have seen, you actually experienced firsthand, not just seen it like on a movie, but you've lived through it, the experience of all that I did to conquer Pharaoh. Because everything that I did to bring about your uh, release from Egypt, right? you, you experienced that. And you saw that I did that by my power. Second thing you've seen, you've experienced is that uh, is, is being carried on eagles' wings. And this, is a, this is a very interesting image uh, to, to think about when you know that this was like like a long time before the Wright brothers and the invention of flight, right? Um, way back then, they were, they, were, they were imagining what it would be like to fly. And he says, I, I bore you as on eagles' wings. And it's a picture of God bringing them through the wilderness, uh, protecting them and providing and sustaining them all along the way. Right? This is going first class on a 747. Right? You're on eagles' wings. As I have taken you from Egypt and brought you finally to the third point, to myself. So the third thing that they experienced is being brought into God's presence as they come before the holy mountain. And, and uh, we'll see, as I said next week, they're going to actually, God's going to appear to them. How cool is that, right? So he brought them to his very presence, a place to meet God face to face. So what that describes is God's incredible rescue of them. His incredible deliverance, which came out of his great love and kindness to them. But that rescue is not the relationship. Right? God rescued them from all that. That didn't automa doesn't automatically make them in relationship with God. Uh, he still has to invite them to accept the offer of relationship, of knowing him personally and walking with him in, in, in everyday life. Um, but what it is, is it's, it shows that God's demonstrated his incredible love through all that and that he's the kind of guy, the kind of God, the kind of being that you can trust. And that's what that's all about. Uh, God loves them. He saved them. He pursues them of his own free will, uh, not because of anything they had done to deserve it or earn it. Right? In other words, God saved them long before the law, long before the commandments. 
And it's important to see that, that God's salvation, His rescue, His love is not determined by their obedience or their goodness or their deserving it. They didn't know anything about God's law. They barely knew who God was. But God loved them and He rescued them because they had cried out to Him for help and He answered their prayer out of His kindness and compassion. Right, so the point here is that God's saving work is in no way connected to his commandments and his law. Sadly, the Jews did not understand this, and it wasn't long before they had turned this upside down. Sadly, a lot of Christians also don't get this, right? And we think that somehow our obedience is going to earn God's grace and favor. Like maybe he doesn't save us, but he'll only be nice to us if we are keeping the commandments. God says, no, I'm going to be nice to you. I'm I'm dating. I'm showing you what kind of a God I am. I'm a nice God, a good God, a loving God whom you can trust in a relationship with me. God's salvation must always be a gift of grace because sinful human beings can never earn or deserve his love or favor. Because that's the first major point he makes there, right? You saw what I did. You experienced firsthand my compassion and my grace. Second thing, um, obedience is required. And and basically in the covenant here, God sets out two parts. What they must do on their side of the covenant. What they must agree to and and do. And then God's going to explain what what he's going to commit to and promise to do in the relationship. So the first half has to do with them. And he says basically... Uh, All I need from you is just obedience. Uh, That's his summary of the whole rest of the covenant for their part. uh, Obedience. Um, Every relationship, and some of us, again, you know, we we get kind of weirded out by, like, relationships shouldn't have expectations, right? If we really are in a healthy relationship, we'll 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 just value other people. And, and, you know, this whole agreement and, like, like roles and expectations, just seems like it would wreck a relationship. But the reality is that every relationship involves an agreement by both parties of what they will do in that relationship. If if you don't have that, essentially you don't even have a relationship. Uh, For example, this is true even with total strangers who you don't even know or or have never met. Because when you go out on the road and we start driving, we enter into a relationship with a lot of other people on the road. Right? And uh, it's important that we know how this relationship works. Uh, I was a couple of weeks ago down in Ubon uh, driving, and um, my friend had warned me about this one intersection. In this intersection, there's one main road. The main road goes one direction. There's a side road that cuts across it in an intersection. And the side road has stop signs. But my friend said they never stop, right? And so you got to be really careful because they'll just blaze through that intersection. So sure enough, I was driving on the main road, and so I had slowed down at this intersection. It's a good thing because this motorbike comes flying through the intersection. Did not stop. Two young kids, no helmets, right? And if I had not known ahead of time, I would have killed both of them. I mean, no, no doubt about it. Um, because in this relationship, it works like this. I promise not to run you over on your motorbike if you promise to stop at stop signs. Right? That's the, that's the, that's the agreement of the relationship. Um, we get a job, we enter into a relationship with our employer. So if I get a job at KFC, uh, say, you, say you're working for me, I'm Mr. KFC, I promise to pay you a set amount of money 
for you working a set amount of hours at KFC, not at Starbucks. Right? So if you say, uh, you, I, you know, I come to you, give you your paycheck, and I say, you know, I noticed you were, you were not at work this whole month. You say, oh, I was working. So I'm telling you, I was here every day. I did not see you. Well, I was working, but I was working at Starbucks because I like the coffee there way better than fried chicken. And it's just a nicer place to work, right? Well, that's the wrong, that's, that's not the agreement of the relationship, right? It's how it works. Every relationship comes with rules, right? The, 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 the dangerous thing is that for most of us, these relationships are unwritten, <laughs> and we assume the expectations that go along with them. Uh, and we get ourselves in a lot of trouble that way. Uh, even in a friendship, right? Uh, there's this kind of understanding that I, as your close, personal, intimate friend, I promise to include you in the struggles I'm going through. I'm going to share with you the burdens on my heart and what I'm struggling with. I'm not going to shut you out of my life when hard things come along. But at the same time, you promise not to post all my personal problems on Facebook as prayer requests, right? It's kind of just an agreement. I pour it out my heart into you and I see it on Facebook. That, that would be a damaging thing in the relationship. Right, so God is no different, but he does not leave it to blind assumptions. He spells it out clearly. And it's very simple. He says uh, in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Uh, literally, uh, it's translated, uh, if you will listen with listening to my voice. And Hebrew uses these double verbs to emphasize things. And it really has the idea, if you will listen attentively to my voice, then you will be my treasured people. Um, listening attentively does not mean simply hearing what God says and then ignoring it, right? It's implied that you will listen with the intention of doing what he says. Uh, second part, he says, be diligent to keep the covenant. Uh, really what that means is to be diligent in keeping all the terms and conditions of the covenant, right? paying attention to what we agreed about here today. Um, and of course, what that terms and conditions are, he's about to spell out in uh, whatever, 30-some chapters of, of, of rules and regulations. He gives the Ten Commandments, and then he follows that up with 613 laws. Right? So he's very specific. No questions, no guessing. Um, uh, but it's important to see, again, that these laws are... The, the conditions of relationship, right? It's, it's about how we connect and know and relate to a living, intimate, personal God. What it will look like if we want to have a strong and healthy relationship with the God of all creation, what should we do? Uh, as we'll see in a moment, these laws also relate to their special purpose and calling. Right? So we'll see that in just a second. Um, but it's important to go back and just re review again that their obedience is to be a result of their experience of grace. That they experience God's grace in delivering and rescuing them and providing and, and giving manna. And Moses is very careful to show through the manna and the, the water at, the, at Meribah and at Marah that they did not deserve it. Right? They grumbled and complained, but God in his grace took care of them. There's nothing in the law about earning God's love or favor. Um, it's simply 
like this. You, you have experienced it. You, you've experienced being born along by my love and kindness. You can trust me. And if you trust me, I will know that because you will do and you know, listen to my voice and you'll do everything I say because you trust me. You believe in my love and goodness. Um, so second thing, third thing that God says to them, uh, his part. Okay, so now that's what you do. You listen to my voice. Thirdly, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. Um, so it's an if, it's an if then thing. If you do this, then I will do this. Right? If you're faithful to be obedient, then I will make you my treasured special people. And he basically describes three things that make them special. Right? Three things. First thing, they will have special status of relationship. They will be in a unique, one-of-a-kind position in their relationship with God. Right? They will be God's treasured people. Uh, you know, we all want to be treasured. We all have the need to be valued. I hope all of us are growing to know what it means to be treasured and valued by the God who made you. Right? There's nothing more powerful in your life than that, to know that God loves you. And he doesn't just love you as a pain in the neck right? because he has to, but because he treasures you. Right? He values you highly. That's the status that, that he promises Israel that they will enter into this relationship. You will be to me a very special people. Um, what makes you so special? Well, what makes you so special is that you are treasured by the God of all creation. Um, you know, it's fun when we, when we know famous people or we come in contact with kind of famous people. Isn't it kind of fun to kind of brag about it? Well, I'm special because I know so-and-so, right? I, I know I'm going to pick on somebody who's probably not here. That's okay. Um, Francis Chan was in town a couple, few weeks ago. And I, have, I know somebody who very stealthily posted pictures of himself with Francis Chan, uh, but in a very subtle way. Right? Um, I love that. Right? It was very fun. We like that. We, we like that. It makes us feel special when, when we, you know, hang out with important people. How much greater that you hang out with the living God of all creation. Um, and so a number of the commands, as we, as we will be looking in the next few weeks at the commands, a lot of the commands relate to uh, their role in holding that relationship, that, that special relationship, sacred. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. I cherish you and I expect you to cherish me. And if you worship other gods, you are you're, you're, um, you're bringing... Infidelity, and, and, the, and later in the Old Testament, they look at it as adultery. Right? You're bringing an adulterous relationship into our very special treasured relationship. Right? Second thing, they have a special purpose. They're to be a kingdom of priests who serve as a bridge between God and humanity. That's what a priest is. A priest is somebody who represents man before God and also represents God before man. 
And it's uh, funny, we'll see this as the story goes on. Moses is, is uh, he's now 80-some years old, right? Um, God's up on the mountain, the people are down below, and Moses serves as a priest, which means he hikes up and down this mountain a whole lot of times, right? Kind of feel sorry for the old guy, right? Uh, God says, go tell them. He runs down, he tells them. Uh, they answer. He runs back up and tells God. Right? That's his role as a priest. He's the intermediary between. Uh, they, and it's, it's predictive of what Israel was supposed to be. God was not making them a special uh, nation because he hated all the other nations. But instead, it was through his special relationship with Israel that he would reach out with his love to all the nations and all peoples. As he promised Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They were to be a bridge that represented God to the world. And one day God would build his temple. And uh, uh, Solomon, when he dedicated, said it would be a house of prayer for all the nations. A place where people from any tribe and tongue and language could seek God and could come to the temple, uh, the, the holy place of the Jews. And they could find God through the witness of Israel as a, as a, a kingdom of priests. So a lot of the laws relate to that, to their worship, to the temple, to their sacrifices, to what it would mean for them to be a kingdom of priests. Thirdly, uh, they had special character. Uh, they were a, to be a holy people who demonstrated something of the character and nature of God. God is loving. He is good. He is righteous. He is just. That's his character. And Israel was to reflect that character in the way they lived the way they treated each other, the way they took care of the poor and the alien and the widow and the orphan, uh, the way they upheld standards of righteousness and justice. So a lot of the laws relate to that, right? what it means to be holy, what it means to have justice, what it means to do the right thing. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words. Okay, here's, the, here's the covenant. God's asking you to Obey him. If you do that, he will make you his treasured possession. Uh, and it says that the people all together said, all that the Lord has spoken, we would do. We will do. So they said, yes, we want this kind of relationship with God. Um, now, we know as we go through the whole Old Testament, they didn't do this very well. Uh, so what is and, and, and how does this relate to us? Right? We, we don't follow this covenant anymore. Why? Why is it we don't offer lambs and worry about fungus on our walls? Right? It's not just because we have better cleaners. It's because uh, we are now under a new covenant. Right? The old covenant is done away with. We are now under a new covenant. Why? Well, first of all, because even though the Israelites accepted this covenant, in the end they did not listen to God's voice. And they did not keep the requirements of the, of the, of the covenant. Um, throughout their very long history, they, they were never able to fully comply with their part of the deal. And in fact, many times they didn't even try. Um, but Jesus came uh, and his first mission was to fulfill the old covenant. So Jesus, in every way, kept completely and perfectly all the terms and conditions of the covenant. Jesus is the first and the only who lived out perfectly all that God required. 
And because of that, Jesus is qualified to be the perfect and complete high priest who bridges the gulf between God and man. He is, Hebrews talks about great length about Jesus being our high priest. We come to the Father, we come to God through the priesthood of Jesus. And he qualified for that role because he kept the old covenant perfectly in every detail, in every way. Um, not only that, but Jesus also demonstrated perfectly what the holy character of God looked like. Right? We look through and study the, the life of Jesus. He, he was holy in every way. I mean, not only did he keep the law, but he demonstrated the character and heart of God. He cared for the widows and the poor. He brought justice to those who were being wrongly accused. He brought forgiveness to those who were guilty. But he did it through uh, executing justice on the cross. Uh, so that in every way he showed and demonstrated the perfect, holy character of God. And in so doing, Jesus established a new covenant Luke 22.20 says this, a very familiar communion as Jesus was celebrating Passover. It says, And likewise, uh, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right? We no longer follow the old covenant, but we live under a new covenant in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means that through Jesus' life and his death, God invites us to, into relationship with him through the work of Jesus. Uh, in the new covenant, Jesus has fulfilled all the terms and conditions by doing what was required. Um, not only for himself, but for us. Right? It says that in Jesus, the, the full requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us, Paul tells us in Romans. Um, so what does this mean? Does it mean that there are no longer any terms or laws? Does it mean that we no longer have to listen to God's voice? Well, sadly, many Christians live this way. They have this idea that, well, Jesus did it all, so I don't need to listen to God's voice. I can do whatever I want, right? Um, that's not what it means, actually. That's not what it means. Right? The nature of covenant relationship is that God saves us by his love and his grace, but he calls us into a relationship that is two-part. We become God's special children because we walk in obedience to his voice, his commands. It also does not mean that we can now ignore the voice of God, because that wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it? Right? What would be the relationship if we just ignore God? That's not relationship. So what does it mean? How does, how, does, how does this work? Well, it means this. It means that we will fail in keeping our side of the bargain. Right? We're called to it. The laws, the commands are still not, not all those commands, but, but God still speaks his commands to us. Jesus gave clear instructions about what it meant to live life in the kingdom. But Jesus knew that you and I would never be able to fulfill it and do it perfectly. So when we fail, we are not, the, the, the covenant is not broken. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it for us. Right? He made up where we lack. Uh, where we fall short, Jesus covers our failures by his own perfect obedience. And he preserves the relationship. By his blood we are forgiven, and by his perfect and righteous life we are made blameless in regard to the law. But we still, as people who have been encountered God and who come into relationship with him, 
who have experienced like Israel his love of being born along on eagles' wings, wings into his salvation, we should have a heart that says, God, I want to obey you. Even though I mess up, it is my heart's desire to do this right, to honor you by listening to your voice and following your instructions. whole other sermon uh, we're not going to go into, but our instructions are different, right? We, we don't keep all of the Old Testament laws, but we keep the law of love and grace. Um, and we do walk in obedience to the voice of God. But we do it by Jesus' power, and where we fail... He makes up the difference. Um, Lastly, uh, we are now, for those who have accepted that invitation, we also are a kingdom of priests. The covenant is different, but the the covenant purpose is exactly the same. 1 Peter 2.4 says it this way, As you come to him, a living stone, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A lot of you put the idea of priesthood and holiness all in one one, one phrase there. You're a holy priesthood, just like Israel was called to be, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Right, so through faith in Christ, we become a holy priesthood who um, are transformed into, into possessing God's character through the work of Christ in us. He goes on in, 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 in verse 9. But you are a chosen race. The idea there is that you are special. You're special. You are treasured. You are chosen as a treasured people a royal priesthood and a holy nation of people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we now are to be what Israel never could do. We are to be a kingdom of priests who bear witness to Jesus, right? who proclaim, who are priests who bring the good news of who God is to the lost world and represent the lost world before God as a holy priesthood by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Uh, we are also a holy people who display to the world the character of God. People should look at the church and they should see in the church uh, a clear definition of what God is like by the way we live as our lives are transformed. So what makes you so special? Uh, what makes you so special is that God gave his son for you. He loved you so much. And he is transforming and changing you into his very likeness. Um, And the power of this is that um, we are called to relationships and people will disappoint us. One day they'll make us feel special. The next day they're going to hurt us. But here's the good news. When we really understand how special we are in God's eyes, it doesn't really matter so much anymore. Right? I remember when our girls were really little, really, really little, three or four years old. Sometimes we as parents would make them mad and one or the other of them would say, I hate you. Right? I hate you. And I would always laugh, which made them even madder, right? Why would I laugh? Does it mean, does it, I laugh because I didn't care if my kids loved me or not. Well, no, I cared. But 
I didn't need I didn't need their affirmation. I don't need the affirmation of a three year old, right? They they could hate me. It didn't change my love for them, right? It didn't change my heart for them. Uh, I was kind of immune to that. Um, That's how it should be in our relationship with each other when we are convinced of God's love and care for us. People may hurt us and we can say, we can laugh, it's okay, because I I know who loves me. And it doesn't matter, I still love you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.